This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello and welcome to today's BT Techno podcast. My name is Brian Ashenden and I have the pleasure of leading the BT Technical Services team. A team of experts that are available to answer any technical advice, strategy related queries you may have. Now, with the 2021 federal budget scheduled to be handed down next Tuesday evening, the 11th of May 2021, the speculation on what it may contain is ramping up. We've already seen some announcements around childcare subsidies, but announcements concerning superannuation and the government's response to last year's retirement income review have largely been non existent. Now, in today's podcast, to discuss some possible changes in the superannuation space, We're going to bring you a discussion between Neil Sparks, the National Manager for SMSF Strategy at BT, and Peter Burgess, the Deputy CEO and Director of Policy and Education from the Self-Managed Superfund Association. And in that discussion, they'll be talking to a number of measures proposed by the Self-Managed Superfund Association in their pre-budget submission, many of which could have application to superannuation more broadly. Neil, I'll now hand it over to you. Well, hello and welcome to today's BT Techno podcast. My name is Neil Sparks. I'm the National Manager SMSF Strategy at BT. And joining me today is Peter Burgess, Deputy CEO and Director of Policy and Education at the SMSF Association. Pete, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here, Neil. So the SMSF Association is the peak body representing the self-managed superannuation fund sector. And the association has made its budget submission this year, um, focusing on three areas, reducing unnecessary complexity, improving access to advice and addressing some technical issues within the superannuation legislation. Could you share with our listeners what superannuation announcements the association would like to see in this year's federal budget? Yes, so really the theme of our budget submission this year, Neil, was around um, simplification and removing red tape. I think we'd all agree that the the superannuation legislation is is complex. Uh, And in fact, you know, one of the findings coming out of the uh, retirement income review was that the retirement income system is very complex um, and that is one of the obstacles which uh, you know prevents people from planning for their retirement uh, the fact that they they find it difficult to understand the rules so we should try and avoid complexity as, as best we can so our, our submission was was very much focused around that this year uh, looking at ways to simplify the rules and remove red tape uh, in particular, you know, around the transfer balance cap, uh, of course, we're about to see that cap indexed on the 1st of July this year. So for the first time, we'll start to see um, clients with a personal transfer balance cap, uh, their own personal transfer balance cap. We think the proportional indexation um, uh, rules are very complex. Uh, and in fact, what we've said in our submission is that we think it should be removed. Um, and there's really two ways which the government could do that. Uh, they could uh, remove proportional indexation and, and, and make it that everyone gets indexation. So once you've started your pension, uh, if the cap is indexed, well, then everyone gets that $400,000. And that, that certainly seems to be the popular option. Uh, be the simplest way. Yeah. be the simplest way. I guess the other way which we think uh, that you could get rid of proportional indexation is, is to say that anyone, once they've started their retirement phase income stream, uh, they don't receive any further indexation from that point. So they st- so whatever they start with, that's their cap at that time, and they don't receive any further indexation. Which again is point. okay, because you'll get growth in your pension. Uh, it's not like you have to take the growth out. So you can yep. still have a number higher than 1.6. 
It's well, just not going to be indexed. Well, that's right. It, 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 it would certainly involve no proportional indexation, which is good. Uh, of course, it does sound harsh uh, for those people that have started a pension that they wouldn't receive any indexation. But really, when you work through the numbers, it wouldn't have, in our view, uh, a material impact on, on the amount of money that they could have in that retirement phase income stream. So, you know, we, we think both of those options are worth uh, considering. Um, uh, and certainly would simplify the rules if we could do away with proportional indexation. So, uh, you know, we went into a fair bit of detail in our submission this year as to uh, pointing out some of the issues with proportional indexation, some of the complexities that we all know. Um, and, uh, you know, th we, we also know there's plenty of scope for errors here. In my experience, uh, when calculations are required, like your proportional indexation calculations, errors will be made, uh, there'll be inadvertent breaches of the caps uh, and there'll be a lot of rework required and additional costs incurred for everyone. So, which, which leads me to a couple of points, Pete. One is that um, it's obviously difficult for financial advisors to access transfer balance cap information if they're not the registered tax agent of the individual, so not the super fund. Yeah. Um, so maybe you'd like to comment on that. Um, but in addition, where would a member who was interested find a copy of your budget submission? if they wanted to read the detail. Yeah, so for the first point, um, look, you know, we certainly agree that um, uh, we, we've got a, we may need to make some changes in terms of who's got access to information. I think if you look at the rules at the minute, we've got um, financial planners who are obviously authorised to give advice around these type of matters, uh, but don't have access to the information on the ATO portals. Um, and we've got tax agents uh, who do have access, but not able to give advice. So, you know, so we, we think there are some problems there at the minute uh, that need to be addressed. Um, so we have been uh, saying this for some time now that we would certainly like to see uh, advisors given access to the ATO portal so that they can give advice on these matters. And it's going to become even more important uh, once indexation is applied from 1 July that uh, advisors have access to this information so they can help clients understand what all this means. Yeah, more pragmatic approach. Yeah, so just in relation to your second question in regard to our budget submission, it is on our website. Um, so uh, uh, everyone can go to our website and download a copy of our uh, budget submission. Fantastic. So one of the other examples that you talked about was uh, removing the, or re reducing, sorry, uh, the number of total superannuation balance test thresholds from eight to two. Can you share your sort of high level thinking on that? Yeah, so we, um, in our submission, we do talk about uh, the different thresholds and, and caps. Uh, and we've identified eight different thresholds and, and caps in our budget submission. Uh, we think it's entirely possible uh, for those thresholds to be reduced down to two. Um, so if you look at it under the current regime, we've got uh, thresholds around the, the catch-up provisions, we've got the work test exemption, which has a total super balance threshold of $300,000, and uh, we've got the $1.6 million uh, threshold, you know, to be able to make non-concessional contributions without uh, triggering an excess. We've also got those bring forward thresholds, so the, the, the 1.5 and the 1.4, which are about to be indexed, but, uh, you know, those thresholds are currently there and determine how much you can bring forward. Um, and the threshold also for your quarterly SMSF T-bar reporting, which is set at a million dollars. So there's lots of different thresholds there that we need to be aware of. Um, in our view, we can, it's, you know, as I said, entirely possible to get the, to reduce those thresholds down to two. Uh, we think there's merit in just having a work test exemption and a concessional cap catch-up threshold of $500,000. So rather than having a $300,000 for the work test and a five hundred dollars for catch-up concessionals, you would just have 500,000 as the one threshold for both work test exemption and catch up concessional contribution. We think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then 1.6, uh, about to go to 1.7, but 1.6 under the current rules would be the threshold pretty much for everything else. 
So um, you're saying if you've got less than $1.6 million at the date of the 30th of June prior financial year, you could make a $300,000 non-concessional contribution. That's right. doesn't matter. You're only going to start a pension with either 1.6 or 1.7, depending on what the cap is at the time. So it's not that really that big a deal. Exactly right. We, we, you know, in our view, there's not a lot of benefit in having these 1.3, 1.4, 1. 1.5 thresholds, which determine how much you can bring forward. Just remove those thresholds and allow individuals under the relevant threshold to be able to bring forward the maximum amount. Especially with indexation, that 1.4 is going to be around 1.44 million, isn't it? It's 1.48. It's, it's yeah, not a, right. uh, a round figure anymore. Yeah. A figure that rolls off the tongue as easily. But uh, yes, that's right. Uh, you talked about the total super balance test of a million dollars. Uh, for T-bar reporting, especially for SMSFs, you'd like to see that lifted to 1.6 or abolished? We would like to see um, annual reporting abolished. So this is probably one of the more controversial aspects of our submission because uh, under the current regime, of course, if your, uh, your SMSF has a balance of less than a million dollars, you can uh, report annually your, your T-bar events. Uh, if it's more than a million dollars, then you've got your quarterly T-bar obligations. Uh, we uh, we think there's merit in doing away with the million dollar threshold so the fund all SMSFs will be re required to report uh, T-bars quarterly. Right. Uh, you know, in our view, the sooner the ATO has information, has that information about the um, transfer balance account transactions, the better it is for everybody. Um, so, uh, you know, we certainly do favour uh, more regular reporting from SMSFs. So are you concerned at all that that would increase administration for self-managed super funds in pension phase with lower balances and therefore could lead to more lower balance self-managed super funds potentially winding up and exiting the sector? Oh, look, I, th I think it's more to do with, uh, you know, we want information reported regularly. Um, as I said, it's, it's important that the ATO has this information and, uh, you know, we think it's, it's uh, there is certainly plenty of benefits and plenty of merits in this information being reported more regularly than it is at the minute, uh, because there is you know, certainly some situations where delayed reporting has resulted in uh, yes. uh, lots of, you know, some errors and inadvertent breaches. Yeah. Um, uh, it's in our view, it's inevitable that the SMSF sector will move down this track to more regular reporting. Um, yeah, it was always the problem, wasn't it, with an SMSF reporting quarterly if they were winding up the fund and rolling it to an APRA fund who suddenly reported the same pension at exactly the end right. of a month, month of establishment and suddenly we've got an excess that doesn't really exist but has to be unwound. That's right. That that's just adds to stress and anxiety for the client. That's, uh, that's fair right. enough. Yeah. Um, let's switch camps now and talk about the uh, non-geared unit trusts. So you're looking at a practical solution for non-geared unit trusts that might have a, a minor breach that would see significant consequences financially for mm. the SMSF and the client um, due to what could be a, a very small breach of the rules around yep. trusts. That's right. So this this is a really technical one that we, we put in our submission this year. Uh, it, it's it's uh, a number of our members have actually raised it with us and hence the reason that we, we put it in our submission this year. Uh, this relates to your 1322C unit trusts and uh, we've come across situations where a very minor breach of the rules has resulted in that unit trust um, uh, losing uh, its in-house assets exemption. So uh, a good example is, is one that we saw just recently where uh, they'd overdrawn their bank account, uh, which is a 1322D event, uh, which caused the uh, the trust to uh, 
uh, to be tainted from then on. So yeah, it could forever. never, yeah, it could never want again be a thirteen two two C trust. So as a result of that, the uh, the SMSF had to sell its units in that unit trust, which uh, gave rise to some stamp duty transactions uh, costs, and they were quite significant. Um, and the breach that caused that was just this very small uh, overdrawing of the bank account. So it, it did seem to us that um, there needs to be another way to deal with these type of minor type breaches. So what we've proposed in our budget submission is that uh, you should be given 12 months to get that unit trust um, back into you know, complying with the 1322C requirements. Uh, and if you do that, then it shouldn't be considered to be uh, a breach of the rule. So you shouldn't have to unwind it in those situations. So that's to keep inside the in-house asset uh, exemption. In-house assets, if you breach those, yeah. you've still got 12 months to re rectify the breach or have That's a right. plan to rectify the breach, but it does include disposal of the asset. So how would yep. that solve the problem with the non-gid unit? Yeah, so this wouldn't be a breach of the in-house assets to start right. with because okay. we're saying you've got that 12-month period in which uh, to get that breach sorted out. Yep. Uh, so you wouldn't breach the in-house asset rules. So it's, it's, a, it's yeah, nice you know, and simple. Yeah, it's a similar type of situation, yep. rule, but uh, applied a little differently. Excellent. Great that the association's thinking so laterally about some of these simple problems that, as I said, can have rather significant consequences yes, for, right. for the member. Um, you've talked in, the, in your uh, budget brief around uh, barriers to SMSF members receiving advice. Um, and I understand so your, your budget uh, proposal does have some recommendations to government around simplifying advice yep. for SMSFs. Could you explain those briefly? Yeah, so this is all uh, part of the, the government's consultation that's going on at the moment as to how to improve the, uh, the affordability of financial advice. Um, so in our view, uh, there are some things that need to happen here to make advice more affordable. Of course, I think SOAs uh, is one of the, the problems here that it is quite expensive, of course, to, to put together an SOA and, and it's very time consuming. So, you know, we, we think there's certainly merit in moving to records of advice type arrangements that we've seen ASIC move on this in recent times. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's looking like we may see further relief granted around some of these things, you know, the situations where you would normally have to provide an SOA where you may in the future be able to provide a record of advice. Um, uh, it's, you know, we certainly support uh, those type of reforms. Um, and so I think in the submission it talked about um, delivering scaled advice yep. in a manner that perhaps didn't relate to a financial product. So there's no specific product recommendation. Um, so therefore looking at scaling the strategic advice to the member. Yeah, look, we, we talk about separating strategic from product advice, yeah. um, and uh, we, we think that's you know very important in order to be able to provide uh, uh, single issue advice type, you know, tailored advice or whatever you, whatever we call it. Um, we think that's important. That clients, you know, when they come to see a financial advisor, if they just want advice about a specific matter, whether it be around to self-managed super funds, that the the advisor doesn't need to go to the, the trouble of a full fact find, which yeah. you know under the current. Uh, law, uh, arguably they do. So uh, we think there needs to be changes made there so that consumers can get access to just the advice they require and then obviously just pay for that advice rather than holistic, comprehensive advice, which um, which they're getting at the minute. And the other one, the last one that I want to talk about, Pete, it was a really uh, a good piece of lateral thinking from the association. You've, you've come up with a spousal equalisation measure for superannuation benefits. 
Uh, could you share your thinking on that one with us, please? Yeah, so this is one that uh, wasn't actually in this year's submission, but was in our supplementary submission last year. Um, so we talked in our submission about allowing individuals to, uh, you know, to equal, equal up their balances, if you like. Um, we, we don't think the measures that are currently available to allow spouses to even up their balances is, um, is efficient or it, it, it only apply in certain situations and there's caps and thresholds that yeah. apply. So it's difficult for some clients to, um, you know, to access some of these strategies. Uh, so what we've been saying in the submission is, is to allow spouses to roll over some of their benefit to their spouse. Um, so we can get a, a you know more equal distribution of balances between the two spouses. Now it may well be that there needs to be some conditions put on that. Uh, it might only be a once-off opportunity to do that. It could be a limit as to how much you can roll over in terms of your spouse and those type of things. But we think there's merit in that. I think if we if we do that, um, then you wouldn't need to have things like uh, recontribution strategies yeah. and those type of things because this is just another way in which you'd be able to even up your balances and. Given the, the total, the, the, sorry, the transfer balance cap and those type of things that we've got nowadays, uh, there's certainly lots of reasons as to why you'd want to, you know, even up your balances with your spouse. I think it's a terrific initiative given the retirement sort of gender gap that is in place. This is one way of being able to address that yep. uh, in a really simple way. And from an administration perspective, you know, if you think about it from a platform's view, the client who wants to remain invested, keep their assets, but equalise, uh, would have to meet a condition of release, yep. uh, transfer the asset out, out of the fund to themselves personally, using an Australian standard transfer form, then yep. from themselves personally to their spouse, another standard transfer form, and then from the spouse back into the fund so that it meets that member contribution rule. That's right. So it's a lot of work where the registry is um, acknowledging the first transfer, the second transfer, and the third transfer, yep. when a nice sort of shift in between the uh, members would solve the same problem exactly and if we don't have to wait till a condition of release so there's no time out of market no potential capital gains expenses no trading costs so it does actually help yeah. enhance retirement savings so it's, it's a really positive initiative yeah look we think so we think it's, it's certainly worth uh strong merit or certainly worth consideration so uh, hopefully it does hopefully get some consideration up. in this year's budget absolutely well, Pete, there's probably a few things I'd like to um, talk about with you further in a bit more detail. It might uh, be of interest to our membership or listenership. Um, so I'd, I'd like to thank you for your Pleasure. contribution today, Pete. It's been fantastic. Thanks, Neil and Peter, for what has certainly been a very interesting discussion. And it certainly isn't long now until we'll find out whether government does pick up any of these recommendations as part of its 2021 federal budget. Now remember, you can join us for our post-budget webinars to be held on the morning of the 12th of May 2021, with sessions being held at 9am and midday Australian Eastern Standard Time. To register for those sessions, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. You also find links to previous webinars that we have held and all of our sessions do qualify for CPD points. And finally, remember, if you have any technical advice strategy questions, you can access the BT Technical Services team by calling us on 1800 655 901 or send us an email at technical at btfinancialgroup.com. Until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.